You could be volatile and still march upward. And I predict Bitcoin may do both of those things, but maybe it won't. It could glide to $280,000 a coin. I think it's got a long way to go here. Hello there from Bedford. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got an interview with the Mooch. Yes, I've got Anthony Scaramucci. He's on. He's going to be talking about Skybridge's newly launched Bitcoin fund. But before that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my sponsors. Okay, we're going to kick off today with BlockFi. Did you hear about their big announcement last year? BlockFi is to launch a Bitcoin rewards Visa credit card early this year. It's something I've been really, really excited about. The opportunity to stack sats with all your card purchases. I think that's pretty cool. Now, with the BlockFi card, you will be able to earn a market lead in 1.5% rewards in Bitcoin on all card purchases. And the waitlist registration is open to all registered BlockFi clients. And if you want to join the priority waiting list, well, then you just need to open up a BlockFi account. The public waitlist is slated to open this month, so keep an eye out for that. And if you are interested in checking out BlockFi, I do recommend you do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, we have Kraken, which is my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin, and it is the only place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. You want to know why, right? Well, Kraken is consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange and they also have the best in class and customer service. So if you have any issue, whatever it is, whoever you are, if you reach out to them, they're going to get that fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, Kraken has every tool you could possibly need. So whatever your level of experience, if you sign up at Kraken.com, you can immediately start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app so you can buy Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading, futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Okay, so onto the show today and I have the mooch on. For those of you who do not know Anthony Scaramucci, he is the founder of Skybridge Capital an investment firm which has over $9 billion in assets under management, and they've just announced that they are launching a Bitcoin fund for their clients. Also, some of you may know Anthony from his turbulent 11-day stint at the White House as the Director of Communications for President Trump, which is something we talk about. You don't want to miss that. But we also talk about the fund. We also talk about institutional interest in Bitcoin. So look, a big thanks for Anthony coming on. It was a really interesting conversation. I'm going to do it again with him sometime. I'm going to find out more about this stuff at the White House. But if you do have any questions or feedback, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, have a great week and I will see you all soon. Right, Anthony, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm sorry for all those technical difficulties. You're looking good. Thank you, man. Well, I'm look, loving great the hat. I'm, I'm loving the hat. I can tell you love America by uh, the look of you. I love America. Look, if I could live there, I'd be there. I used to go every month before this COVID stuff. I'd always be in New York or LA or San Fran. And I haven't been since like, I think February is last time. And it yeah, sucks. It sucks. I mean, I, I, sucks. I, the last time I was in the UK was in February. Oh, damn. Well, listen, look, we've got a lot to get through. Skybridge is going big on Bitcoin. We need to talk about this. So listen, the people who listen to my show, they're not always like uh, the people who are the most technical or the most economically minded. We can't try and keep it you know, simple and easy. But tell people about who Skybridge are and why this is such a big deal. 
So SkyBridge is a seven and a half billion dollar asset manager based in New York. It was founded by me uh, in March of 2005. So it's about to celebrate its 16th anniversary. We have 60 employees globally. Uh, we have an office in Abu Dhabi. Uh, we have one in Florida, and and we have a New York office. Uh, and so basically. We are a hedge fund manager for the mass affluent. So our idea in the beginning was to democratize the hedge fund space. So if you were a high net worth individual, you had fifty or $100,000 that you wanted to invest in a hedge fund, you could come to SkyBridge and SkyBridge would give you the best and brightest portfolio. And you know, if you wanted to get into Steve Cohen's fund, he's got a $25 million minimum. But with your $50,000 aggregated with the rest of our people, you could get into Steve Cohen's fund. You know, we have over $300 million with Steve. So we have 26,000 clients. We have a phenomenal track record. We got our asses kicked in 2008. We were down 19%, but we went up 60% from that bottom. And we got our asses kicked once again in March of 2020, which was our most difficult month. But what's interesting, Peter, is that it won't be our worst year because we rallied back strongly. Uh, we'll probably be down seven on the year for our core fund. But if you looked at our three, five, and 10-year record, it's a pretty amazing record. And I, I predict, like what happened in 2008, we're going to be off to the races in our core fund over the next three years. Um, but when I got back to Skybridge, so I've been doing this for 33 years, less my disastrous 11 days in Washington Working for the I Orange. I ask you about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm happy. I mean, I'm happy to talk about. It. So I worked for the Orange Maniac for about 11 days in Washington. I worked on his campaign for a little over a year. I was on his inaugural committee, his transition committee, and I was actually very helpful to him. And I like teasing him now and his buddies and saying, "Hey, you sons of bitches, you couldn't win without me because you know I was beating the shit out of him for 18 months." So, but less that fiasco in Washington. I have been doing this for 33 years. And so when I got back to SkyBridge, I said, hey, we needed diversity in our product line. 2018, we launched a SkyBridge Opportunity Zone Fund, which took advantage of the tax code, and we're investing in these poorer areas of the United States. And if you do that for long periods of time, you can get a uh, no, no, no capital gains on your returns. And so the second wave was in the digital asset space. And so if you had this interview with me a year ago, I would have told you, well, we're looking at Bitcoin, we're looking at Ethereum, we're looking at other digital assets. I don't know if you know Anthony Pompliano, but about a year I ago, I did, I did his podcast and I gave him a history of money, 5,000 year history of money. And I explained why I believe digital assets are here to stay. And Bitcoin, even though it got slammed, you know, 17 into 18, started its rebirth a little bit in 19. I said, you know, that will likely be the industry leader. And once I'm confident that it is the industry leader, I want to get my clients up to speed and up and running on that. So three things happen, and I'll talk quickly. One, uh, it started to get to the crossover mark. What is the crossover mark? Several hundred billion dollars in capitalization. To me, once mm -hmm. you're there, you almost become impregnable. It's like, how are you going to attack Google now? It's at a trillion dollars. How are you going to attack Amazon? They've eaten everybody's lunch in retail internet, 47, 48% market share. And so a result of which Bitcoin has done that. Secondarily, Bitcoin has been attacked 6,500 times by 6,500 different currency initiatives. And it's 
ruled the roost. Uh, and so that is another very big positive. I like the scarcity feature. No one knows who invented it. I think that was smart by the inventors of it. Uh, but they've only got 21 million coins out there. And so that scarcity provides people with this anti-dilutive quality. And it's also, as you know about human minds, when something is scarce, people want it. And the last thing, uh, which is a combination of two things, it is definitely a ledger. And all currency really is, as you know, because you study this stuff, is a ledger. It's an asset mm -hmm. uh, liability mixture between you and me. I come and mow your lawn and do your landscaping around your beautiful house. You give me dollars or British pounds. I put them in my pocket. I can use those to buy something with. But it's a piece of paper. These currencies now are fiat currencies. They're not backed by stores of value anymore. And maybe perhaps someday some of them will be backed by Bitcoin. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But, but where we are right now is because of what's going on in our social contract, the destruction of the financial services industry 2008, the healthcare COVID-19 crisis, we are proliferating fiat currencies. We have a 25% increase in the monetary supply of the United States in six short months, which is an enormous amount of uh, money chasing these objects. And you're seeing Bitcoin lift off. So you've got two things going on, transferability of value, the blockchain is allowing for that to be impregnable. And then the second and last piece to the third thing is Fidelity and places like that. The largest, one of the largest asset managers in the world is offering cold storage of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And so now uh, I hit the trigger about three months ago. Uh, we began our filing processes with the SEC. We opened the fund on uh, December 22nd, last week, actually at this time, um, uh, put $25 million of the firm's capital in the fund. And then we go live turnkey January 4th uh, where we'll be able to offer this to investors. So for me, I grew up in the blue collar neighborhood. You can probably tell by the way I'm dressed. I actually mm -hmm. don't give a shit. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that believes that you have to democratize these things. So we have a $50,000 minimum, uh, easy access. It's a three-month lockup because of the regulatory environment in the U.S. You have to structure it in a limited partnership vehicle, which we did. And uh, we're off to the races. Now, as you would imagine, it's hot right now. Some people think it's in a bubble. Some people think there's a yeah. correction coming. You know, other people think it's going to 500,000. I'm probably in between. I, I, I don't see why we couldn't have a correction. But I would point out to all of your listeners, uh, this is a network now. And Amazon is a network. And by the way, Amazon has dropped in value 50% six times since it went public in 1997. So, uh, you know, you could be volatile and still march upward. And I predict Bitcoin may do both of those things, but maybe it won't. It could glide to $280,000 a coin, have a $5 trillion market valuation, and still only be half of all of the gold that's been mined in our global society. And I, and I think it's got a long way to go here. All right. Well, listen. Look, I'm glad you did Pomp Show first. Uh, it's good to do a warm up for the uh, before you come on the the, the hey, bigger man. and better yeah, show. Ab yeah, absolutely. And remember, I was doing Pomp Show before I had a uh, had a product. Yeah. Well, but you know, P Pomp knows that my show is better as well. Like, if you ask him, he'll be like, "Yeah, come on." Come on, Pete. It's a, it's a better show for Bitcoin. <laughs> so listen, all right, look, this is super interesting. L let me ask you, did you have your times where you doubted Bitcoin, where you looked at it and you're like, no, yes. this is bullshit? Yeah, you did. You did. So what yeah. what, what's, what what flicked the switch for you? What, you know, because so, that's, that's going to be I, the thing. 
for your investors, the people, they're yes. probably also a little bit like, what? And now you're in there, you know, they've got the confidence from you. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm a doubter. I'm a skeptic. Um, you know, I'm all, I'm always in the belief in the asset management business that you are guilty until proven innocent. It's not a British or an American court. There's no presumption of innocence. And so I actually met with a group of people uh, in Silicon Valley to discuss Bitcoin in 2014. And while I found it interesting, I wasn't comfortable with it. And so why wasn't I comfortable with it at the time? It was trading at $400 a coin. It was hard to buy. Uh, people were buying it and storing it on a USB. You know, it was uh, Coinbase and these other things were just sort of getting started. And there was a lot of uncertainty and potential hackings of those coins. And then you had a lot of aggressive competition, Peter. And so my attitude was, okay, I like the idea. I understand where it's going. I understand the technological applicability of the blockchain and why it's impregnable. But I was not ready to commit capital because I thought there was still a lot of downside because I wasn't, you know, it wasn't Amazon, you know. And by the way, I'm the guy that misses the Amazon IPO and invests in Amazon in 2002 after it's had two down cycles, but I'm looking at its market share and its market share is continuing to expand and they've got the right management team and I'm a big user of their product. And you know what? It's now acceptable and that stock's got a way to go. I think Bitcoin is Amazon 2000, 2001 or 2002. It's out there. It's a winner, uh, but it's still in the very, very early stages of it. And by the way, if you looked at Amazon stock chart, 97 to 02, you were like, oh, geez, I missed this. You know, the thing went from a fraction of a share to, you know, gigantic amount of market capitalization. And so people will look at it, well, you know, it was trading at 400 when you first looked at it. Now it's at 27,000. You're an idiot. You're coming in in the late innings. And my response to that is, no, if anything, we're still in the very early innings. And the reason why is that it's still not fully accepted. It's still harder to buy than you would like it to. It's not a stock or an ETF. It's not properly regulated yet in the United States. There's a lot of things that have to happen here. And I like I like where we are. And I think we've gotten to that crossover point where I'm comfortable with my money and my investors' money in it. And I'll say something to you, you know, Amazon's not going to zero. Now I could say that and then of course tomorrow it'll go to zero. There'll be a nuclear strike or something like that. But you get my point. It's yeah, a yeah, proven it. thing now. Um, at worst comes to worst, we'll be able to sell the warehouses and we'll get a penny on the stock. Uh, Bitcoin, I believe, is not going to zero. I believe that the neural network of Bitcoin, the tens of millions of people that are operating on that network have accepted it as a ledger. And you know, I have adult children now. I'm getting up there. And my millennial children see Bitcoin comparable to gold. If anything, they see it as more portable than gold. They see it as more reliable than gold, easier to store than gold. And you know, let me put this to you because this is something I would have said to myself. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no army supporting Bitcoin. There's no natural resources of the country supporting Bitcoin. And there I would have said that army. to myself. Yeah, yes, there is. I'm going to get there in a second. Yeah. But my, yeah. my point being, there isn't an army like the US army or the continental, you know, you pick the army, you know what I mean? And I got that wrong when I originally assessed it from a currency perspective and the history of currency, because to your point that you were about to make, there is an mm. army. There's this node network. Skybridge is operating a full node. 
inside of our server farm inside of SkyBridge now. Nice. And there's millions of people that are supporting the network and protecting the network and in constantly improving the encryption reliability of that network. And in, so in some ways, uh, this is the classic libertarian ideal where the currency is actually not being protected by a government, but it's being protected by individuals. And since, you know, we broke from the United Kingdom 244 years ago, you know, sometimes individuals can be more powerful than an organized army. Mm. Do you worry at all about like, so you, you say Amazon won't go to zero and I, I get that. Like investing in a stock is a pretty accepted thing, but like Bitcoin's still new. You know, people like shithead Mnuchin's kind of like always got an issue with it. Do you ever worry that, you know, a few years down the line, you've put a bunch of money in, a bunch of your uh, clients have put money in, and then the government really try to fuck with it and it just destroys its value? Uh, yes, but I, I think it's past time for that. You know, look at what happened with Ripple and some of this other stuff. Uh, Ripple is different. You know, they, these guys, the founders were known. They were creating more volume of Ripple. You and I know that the whoever Satoshi is or the group that created Bitcoin were very wise to cap it mm -hmm. at, at 21 million. And you know, and I know that that's procedurally impossible to create more coin. And so therefore you've got this finite supply um, and it's been accepted and it's transferring among people and whether the government's try to crack down on it or not, it's going to go on one way or another, governments tried to crack down on the black markets in the Soviet Union and other places in the world, and they continue to proliferate. And I think you're, you're, you're beyond critical mass with Bitcoin, and it will be regulated. And there could be some onerousness to the regulation in the United States because they're worried about Bitcoin supplanting the supremacy of the US dollar. Uh, and that could cause a volatility crisis in Bitcoin. But remember, volatility is very different from risk. You know, mm -hmm. volatility, if you're patient and you understand the fundamentals of what's going on, if you rode Amazon for the 23 years and accepted the 50% declines in its price activity, uh, but you knew the fundamentals were there, then you, you, you didn't really have risk as much as you had to be patient to ride through the volatility. So, so I don't see the government being able to take out Bitcoin at five, at, you know, two, you, you, you know, it's bopping around. Let's call it 450 to $550 billion of market cap. That is a living, breathing organism now uh, in the digital space. And it will remain so whether the governments like it or dislike it. You and I both know that China, the second largest economy in the world, or arguably now the largest economy in the world, has banned Bitcoin. And uh, Bitcoin's had its best years of appreciation despite that banning. Right. So listen, if you're getting into this, there's some, some important questions that, that some of the more hardcore Bitcoiners are going to care about. Uh, I think especially now because a lot of money's coming in from institutions and hedge funds and billionaires, like how much do they know or care about some of the like more important uh, issues that uh, like are important for them? I think firstly, are you guys Bitcoin only? Are you mucking around with shit coins? Are you guys just like Bitcoin only and that's your focus? No, we're we're Bitcoin only. And so our oh, fund's wow. name is the Skybridge Bitcoin Fund LP. And since you cannot have a ETF in the United States, working alongside of Davis Polk and Wardwell, our lawyers, extremely white shoe law firm here in New York, we organized this to be as easy as possible to do the paperwork. We organized it as easy as possible to have a lower priced entry point, 50,000, if you will, mm -hmm. 
I mean, that's not for the hoi polloi, but it shouldn't be yet, frankly. I, I, I want this to be for the mass affluent or for knowledgeable people, understanding the risk, have a 1% to 3% exposure in your core portfolio. You and I both know that if you looked at Bitcoin over the last 10 years, you could have had $1 in Bitcoin, 99 cents in cash, and outperformed every asset class, including the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. So we know this about it. Um, and so therefore, my thing is for people that are not as sophisticated as you, are not in the space as long as you, take a baby step. But recognize this is here to stay. We're in the early innings. Skybridge wants to be known as someone that's going to help you democratize it. Oh, by the way, you have this historic opportunity now to get in before the institutions do. The institutions are coming. Um, could this be $100,000 per coin at the end of 12 31 2021 i believe it could be and so you know if you're in with us now and you go four to one on the money you're gonna be a very happy camper um you have to accept some volatility you have to be patient you know we have a three-month lockup why is that well i want to try to gear people towards long-term holding of the asset mm-hmm. and i also want to avoid the sec regulatory issues around having a shorter-term lockup because therefore you, you're not allowed to trade lps in the united states and you're not allowed to have an ETF, so you can't synthetically create one through your LP. So having a three-month lockup satisfies the SEC. It gets my clients an early access point into Bitcoin when I think it's got that floor of stability now, as you're mentioning, the introduction of institutions, smart hedge fund managers, the fact that I can store it at Fidelity. And so now if you're somebody that likes me and you know our reputation for 15 years but love Fidelity, you're getting the combination of our service capability and fidelity storage, and you're getting the flexibility of getting out of it in three months if you need it. Uh, and by the way, we're coming in at a low cost. You know, We're at 75 basis points. Mm-hmm. If you want to operate with Grayscale, you're going to pay them 2%, but you're, then you're going you're gonna to buy them on the pink sheets in the over-the-counter market, and you're going to buy them at a 20 to 30% premium to where the actual price is of the underlying asset. With us, you get a stamp of what that price is without any premium, and you're buying it through us at 75 basis points. And so it's a cheaper access point um, until we get to an ETF, which could be one, two, three years from now, that could be Bitcoin 300,000. We want to provide our investors with an early look and we're telling them, listen, uh, this could be Amazon. Yes, you missed Amazon's IPO and you missed some of Amazon's growth, but you're catching Amazon in 2002 Let's take a look at what Amazon did from 2002 to 2021. And I think you're in for a very, very satisfying uh, uh, appreciation in this security. And uh, we've taken it very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. And so we've, we've really tried to cross every I, I'm sorry, dot every I, cross every T, you know, <laughs> mixing it. the metaphor and blowing the metaphor. But you get, you get the point that I'm making. Yeah, man. And listen, you're taking it to Grayscale. Uh, Grayscale is where a lot of people have been going. If you're... Uh offering at 75 basis points to theirs 2% and the premium. And also, the, uh, the you know, you can get in at $50,000. There should be a lot of interest there. Well, yes. And we've already got, frankly, a lot of reverse inquiry. Of course, we've got to make sure that the people are qualifiable. I mean, mm-hmm. they have to go through our compliance issues, AML issues, all that stuff. But, but yes, we have a lot of, we have a lot of inquiry. And, uh, you know, if we're right, and, uh, you know, I don't want to sound overconfident, I've been humbled in my life many times. I've been fired a few times. I had that disastrous firing from the White House. I, I want to say this with a lot of 
humility, but I got a lot of conviction too, you know, and I've done a lot of homework on it. And so if I'm, if we're right, this is a really good entry point for people and we're able to provide them with the ability to get in at a lower cost than Grayscale without the premium. Mm. Remember, it's not only the 2% you're paying Grayscale, but you're coming in at a 20 to 30% premium. And so, you know, some people are already starting to switch out of Grayscale, flowing into Skybridge to take advantage, you know, where they're selling it at the premium up here and they're taking a dollar three, if you will, dollar thirty, and investing in a Bitcoin at its NAV. And I think that's a really good trade. And I think we'll see a lot of that activity, Peter. Have you, have you spent much time looking at the infrastructure to Bitcoin, the dev community, how they're supported, how, how it actually works? I mean, I've been putting pressure on people that are involved in Bitcoin in a way like the exchanges to try and support the developers. But also recently, I've been also been yes. putting a bit of pressure on people to try and support Coin Center because Coin Center do a lot of the work heavy yes. lifting with the regulators down in Washington, mm -hmm. you know, especially with yes. what's going on right now. Have you looked so, at that? So my partner, my partner, my chief, the president and chief operating officer just participated in something where it's a non-for-profit where young developers are operating on the architecture of the system and the nodes and improving the architecture of the system where he's been uh, involved with that non-for-profit. And yes, we, we are starting now to get more affiliated with the coin centers, if you will, and the more uh, the people that are going to be lobbying the government to explain to the government that this has value to the government to allow this ecosystem to exist and to proliferate and to frankly flourish. Um, you know, when you think about it, you might be you know, it's hard to peg the dollar to gold for all of the reasons. You just have to take a satellite photo of Fort Knox and you'll get a sense for what I mean. But man, if you could start pegging portions or, uh, you know, you could have a digital coin emanating from the United States that has a basket of these securities, or maybe it's just Bitcoin, all of a sudden the, uh, the ideas behind Bitcoin, the potential appreciation for, for Bitcoin become very, very real. And so, yes, we, we want to be involved with that. We want to we do that. I mean, again, the first thing that we did at Skybridge, even before we announced the launching of the fund, was to establish that node, because I want people to know that this is not a gimmick for us. I'm a, you know, I may be a disaster as a politician or a political figure, but I've done a pretty, pretty good job growing two successful businesses. And, um, you know, I've been steeped in fundamental training over the 33 years of my investment career. And I grew up in a blue collar family where my dad was a crane operator and an hourly worker. So I've been in a negative subsidy to my parents since the age of 15, where you know my work has had to go to them to help them. And, uh, but yet I was able to create some level of financial independence in the United States. So I'm a, I'm a turtle, you know, I'm a slow mover. And so uh, I couldn't get there in 2014. But you know what? I'm more com comfortable at 27,000. That probably sounds ridiculous because we now have the benefit of hindsight. Mm -hmm. But I'm more comfortable, Peter, at 27,000, knowing what I know about Bitcoin now, its overall market capitalization, the nodes, the circuitry, the network associated with Bitcoin, its level of destruction of its competition. Again, attacked over 6,500 times. And here it is at a half a trillion dollars. I'm more comfortable with it at twenty seven thousand than I would be at four hundred, if that makes sense. No, I get um, it. Somebody really, some, I mean, somebody that really understands it would actually say, "Wow, that does make sense." You know. No, I get it. Like when it dropped to three and a half thousand earlier in the year, I I wasn't buying. 
And ever since it's been cleared 10, gone to like 11, 12, I've been buying more. I get it. You you get a, you get more of a confidence when certain things happen. I think things like what Sailor did with MicroStrategy and what's happened with Mass Mutual and you know, what you guys are doing. And there's so much activity now, so much happening that you get a lot more confidence from other people. I get that. Yeah. I think a lot of people understand. Well, that. you know, Sailor and I have become close. So I, I, he, I interviewed him for my Salt Talks. I interviewed Plan B. For my salt talks, I know mm-hmm. if you know Ralph Paul, you probably yeah. had him on. I interviewed him as well, and you know Sailor and I become close because Sailor is an intellectual, and ultimately Sailor's looking at currencies that are being destroyed by federal governments around the world, and he say, "Okay, wait a minute, I'm creating this economic rent through this corporation that I'm responsible for to these shareholders, and the profits are coming in, but the money's being devalued by the government. So the government's going to tax me." And they're going to devalue the money that I'm getting paid in. So I have to find a store of value. Uh, you know, gold is obviously still, and it has been for 5,000 years, a store of value. But if you really understand this network and you really understand this ledger, this is a more valuable, you know, and should be, frankly, over the next 25 to 30 years, more valuable than gold if you really understand what it is. And so uh, I applaud Sailor for defending his shareholders and defending the preservation of their value by moving a lot of his assets into Bitcoin. Next up, I talk to the Mooch more about the Skybridge Fund and his time working for Trump. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, so last week I announced my new sponsor, Exodus Wallet, who I will now be using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. I had been looking for a wallet to use for my day-to-day Bitcoin, I'm using Casa currently as my deep cold storage, but increasingly I am running my company using Bitcoin. So I needed a wallet for this. I needed a wallet for the Bitcoin that I'm receiving and moving around during the month. The reason I like Exodus is because they've absolutely crushed the UX. When they reached out to me, I did download it. I did check it and I was like, wow, this is so easy to use. So do make sure you go and check out the Exodus wallet. That's available at exodus.io. You can search for Exodus on the Apple or Google app stores. Look, if you search for Exodus in Google, you're going to find them. Also, we're going to talk about Casa. Now, Casa is the absolute very best in Bitcoin security. I've been telling you this for ages. If you haven't got your security shit together, come on, what are you doing? Bitcoin has been mooning. Some of you have been making some good money. Definitely go and check out Casa. And if you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. You can ask me. You can drop me an email. Drop me a DM on Twitter. For me, it's given me so much peace of mind. I am no longer exposed to my own mistakes, attacks, hackers, device failure, and all the things that can go wrong. That means you can lose your Bitcoin. And you want to be the same. You do not want to take this risk. And Casa has a product for every Bitcoiner. So with Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet. And that's only $10 a month. So that's a no-brainer. If you want better security, then with Casa Platinum, you can get their 3 or 5 multi-sig. Now that is the best protection for large Bitcoin holders. And that also comes at a great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get the full service offering. That includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best in class in security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And last up today, we have my friends over at sportsbet.io. I'm going to be heading over to see them soon. As soon as the planes are flying, I'm going to be off to Estonia. We're going to be catching up. Got some ideas. I want to work on with them. Now, they are the best place for online gaming, and it's because they accept Bitcoin, because they're Bitcoin badasses. They put a Bitcoin logo on the front of the Southampton shirt. They're also the betting partner of Arsenal. So if you see Bitcoin logos around stadiums or on shirts during Premier League matches, it is sportsbet.io. You have to thank. 
And they also have a market for everything you could possibly be interested in. Football, tennis, US sports, motorsports, even esports. Every sport you can possibly think of is there. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions. Just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions to find out more, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. You guys did 25 million. You've announced you've done 25 million. Is that 25 yes. million of your own capital or is that 25 yes. million? Yeah, it is. Firm's capital. So so the firm's capital, that would be my capital, yeah. my partner's capital. That would be some of our outside shareholders are in there. And, and you know, so it's a mixture of people. But yes, it's our firm and associated capital. Uh, I thought 25 million was the right number. And that's what we started with. Obviously, we've gotten some, I mean, listen, I mean, you know, I don't want to jinx myself or anything, but we're probably up fifteen to twenty percent on the position. Nice, nice. Are you, are you already thinking of doing more though? Well, me personally, yes. I, I'll, you know, all my funds. I don't have a personal trading account. Ah, um, okay. I, I always thought that, that was the wrong thing to do. So my my money's in the hedge fund fund of funds. It's in the real estate fund, which I described to you, mm-hmm. and it's now a portion of it has gone into the Bitcoin fund, and I'll be adding to all three of those funds like I do every quarter. So, you know, the good news is I live well below my means, the income that I'm getting from my clients. I take a portion of that and I, I, I chop it up between those three funds. I put it, put it back to work uh, so that I'm eating the, my own cooking alongside of the client. So, yeah, okay. I'll be adding to the Bitcoin fund, but the Bitcoin fund will be open to outside investors you know, uh, January 4th. That will be the Monday after the new year. And you can go to skybridgebitcoin.com. And uh, it, it's not operational yet, but it will be on January 1st. And then you can point and click and we can take subscriptions there. Who, who's the bigger bull, you or Brett, on Bitcoin? Um, well, you know, I you know it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say that he's the bigger bull in the sense that he describes himself as a Bitcoin maximalist. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, am I a Bitcoin maximalist? I'm more like what Plan B would say about it. I don't want to use the word maximalist because it has some, you know, weird derivations of the meaning. Am I a bull on Bitcoin? Yes. Am I a believer that this could go to three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars a coin? Yes. I can see that happening for so many different reasons. Um, but I think Brett is probably more passionate about it. I have been historically more cautious, frankly. I'm probably a little bit more flamboyant when it comes to my mouth in politics, uh, but you would find me surprisingly more cautious when it comes to investing. Right. Okay. So let me ask you another thing. How much of this is about the like the 21 million with uh, your type of uh, investors and clients? And how much is it that you guys actually think about or care about the other properties, the censorship resistance, the seizure resistance, how it's used by people in like, uh, let's say Belarus right now, who are protesting against uh, Lukashenko. And some of them are surviving on the fact that Bitcoin is being sent to them. You know, we've got the people in uh, Nigeria who are campaigning against the, for the end of the, um, the NSARS movement. You know, we've got yeah. the people around the world who are relying on Bitcoin for quite anarchist things. And therefore things yeah. like privacy are really important. Yeah, privacy really, you know, especially we know with the U.S. government, it's kind of like it's kind of anti what they want to do, especially with the way the way we saw everything that happened with Snowden and such. Like, how much do you do you care about that? Institutions care about that, or do they just not? Do they just care about the twenty-one million? Well, you know, I'm politically inclined, 
Yeah. And so if you really studied my personality as it relates to politics and policy, I'm a classic libertarian. You know, I don't care about your sexual preferences. I don't care about that's your body and you should be in control of your body. And so when you think of Bitcoin, um, it is a libertarian idea. You know, if you think of AI as an example, AI is more tied to governmental control, right? They use AI for facial recognition in centralized places like China, and they look at your face going through the turnstile, and then they give you a social score, you know, and now you're under the gun of uh, what what George Orwell would say, big brother. Uh, But Bitcoin is decentralized. And from that point of view, I believe it's going to increase freedom in our society, our global society, it will create increased freedom. So am I getting a lot of psychic reward out of that and a lot of psychic energy? I am. If you're asking me a point blank question, do investors care about shit like that? They probably don't. They want to make money and they want to be with things that they think are fundamentally sound. They're going to go up in value. But you're asking me personally, I am. Yes, I believe that it's sorely needed in our society right now, because there's a tug of war going on right now between government and individual. And, uh, you know, and there's been a, there's been that tension and struggle for 5,000 years. And you want the individual to win if you are Western liberal. And again, I use the word liberal in the sense of the liberal democracy, you know, the idea of liberalism being the individual has this own sovereignty that themselves, the sovereign individual, um, then you want things like Bitcoin in the world because that will further that. Um, but it's against the idea of some of the Eastern philosophies. It's against some of those things. Uh, right. But yeah, I, I'm a goddamn renegade, Peter. You know, come on, think of my career. And so you'd have to say, of course, I'm into that stuff. All right, man. Well, so listen, look, a couple more Bitcoin questions and I've got to ask you about, as you call it, the orange man. Yeah, you can ask me. You can ask me anything ask, you want. I man. want to know about that. But I want to go... Uh, I'm dealing with it all day, my man. You yeah, know, by man. the way, there are two there are two Scaramucci's left in Trump's political career. That's eleven days times two. That's it. Afanito Donald Trump. <laughs> well, listen. Look, firstly, let me let me close out on the Bitcoin stuff first, right? Yeah, go ahead. You're saying we're early. You think they think there's an avalanche of money coming in. Why? Why are we? Why? What's telling you that? What are the signals you're getting that we're still very very early? Well, it's not accepted. It's not regulated. It has all the features of early adoption. I think we're in the second phase of early adoption, right? You have the first movers, then you have the early adoption, and then you have that native phase where it goes prolific or it goes kinetic in terms of its widespread use. And I think we're in the early stage of the second phase. So yes, perhaps you put it on a USB at $50 a coin. I don't know. And I'm sure that there are people that have done that. And there are people, you know, you know, a massage therapist bought 15,000 coins at uh, $5 and can't find her USB. She'd be worth $25 million. Yes, there are those stories. And of course, there's the $800 million pizza that was described in Ben Mesrich's book. And that's a fabled story for Bitcoiners. But I'm never going to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy, frankly, because I'm an investor. And the first thing you want to do in investing is, you know, you know, there's two rules, right? The second, the first rule is don't lose money. And then, Peter, the second rule is refer to rule number one. Those are the two rules. And so, yeah, yeah. so for me, you know, I, I, you know, I see this 
uh, as, has all the classic signs of early. Limited institutional investors, tons of skeptics, tons of generational fogies that are giving a stank eye to Bitcoin. Uh, you've got limited regulation, as I've mentioned, and you've got this sort of libertarian streak that Bitcoin has, which means that it'll always have a native group of people operating it for so so many different reasons. And so, so, uh, but if you're sitting there on a hedge fund and you're watching money printing to the tune of 25% of the money supply being created in the 244-year-old republic, also known as the United States, and you're like, okay, wait a minute, they're going to put on $8 trillion of debt and they're going to print most of it. And okay, where is that going? And how is that going to show up in the world? Well, okay, you've got great technology and great in- innovation that are compressing prices. That's deflationary. But you've got all this proliferation of money, which is inflationary. And then you have all this debt on these societies. Uh-huh. Okay, wait a minute, what am I doing? I better own a hedge on that stuff. I better own something that I know is scarce, that 21 million that we just referenced, and I know it's fungible, and I know it's technologically sound, all of a sudden that becomes compelling. And 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 trust me, 1% move by a Fidelity, a Vanguard, a Mass Mutual, a Ray Dalio, and those things are 300, 400,000 a coin. And it's a 1% move. You know, just think about the magnitude yeah. of money that that is. You know, you're talking about a hundred trillion dollars. A one percent move is one trillion dollars. Bitcoin goes from a five hundred billion dollar market cap to a one and a half trillion dollar market cap. Damn. Right. Uh, right. Like, listen, like, we got to flip this up because I'm conscious of your time. So, back in October, I've got this other podcast, and I was working on this series called Chaos, which is about Donald Trump, kind of, and about the election. And I'm watching sure. this uh, documentary on the BBC, and on comes this, uh, I'm sure he's from like New York somewhere, Italian guy called Anthony Scaramucci. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, what, what, what is going on here? And then we pass, fast forward a couple of months, and I get an email from somebody saying, do you want Anthony Scaramucci on your podcast? I'm like, yeah, I want to talk to him about Bitcoin, but fuck, I want to know what happened. What happened, man? Like, you sat at home one day, someone calls you up and says, you want to come and work for Donald? How did it all happen? No, I mean, I mean, you see that. I mean, the, the the problem is because people get their news in fragments, yeah. and particularly if they're watching TV, it's a three minute news cycle. So, I have known President Trump for twenty years. I had a relationship with him here in New York. Uh, I was working at CNBC as a paid contributor when he was on his very famous show, The Apprentice, at NBC. So we were working in affiliated networks. We saw each other at a lot of social events. We saw each other at the Robin Hood Hedge Fund charities. And we had a nice relationship. We raised money together for Mitt Romney in 2012. That's when we started to get closer. And then when he went to go run for president, he asked me to go work on the campaign. I said, no, I was working with uh, Scott Walker. And then I told uh, Mr. Trump that I would end up with, with George Bush if Scott came out of the race. And so I was with two other presidential candidates. But when uh, Jeb came out of the race, pursuant to a handshake that I had with Mr. Trump, I said, if they both come out of the race and you beat both of them, if you're really serious, which at the time of the conversation, I didn't think he was, I'll come work for you. And so he beat both of them. He called me. I went up to see him. And so I spent almost a full year on the campaign. 
I provided media advocacy. I raised a ton of money for him. I gave him over a million dollars of my personal money between the campaign, the pack, the inauguration, the transition, all of that stuff. And when he won on November the 8th, I was hosting Wall Street Week at the time. And I was running Skybridge, doing just fine, had no inkling to work in Washington. He was insistent. And he offered me a job, actually, to be the OPL director, the Office of Public Liaison. And I was effectively going to be the president's chief networking officer, which I thought was a good job for me, uh, to the great consternation of my wife. And she almost divorced my ass. She didn't <laughs> want me to work for him. I mean, she hates him almost as much as Melania hates him. I don't think anybody can hate him as much as Melania, but it's, I mean, she's up there. <laughs> and so she wanted to divorce my ass over the thing, but I got very tempted. And so my story is a cautionary tale about pride and ego. So when Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon blocked my original job, I called up Trump. I said, these are two assholes and they're going to hurt you. They're going to hurt your administration. And I'm pretty good with people sizing them. And I'm going to tell you right now, Mr. President, you're going to want to get rid of those two sons of bitches. And when you do, give me a call. I'll take care of it for you. And so he called me in June and he said, I want you to go work at the XM Bank. And so I went to the XM Bank. That's our import-export banking facility. It's a governmental agency. He said to me, Senator Rand Paul wants to shut it down. I don't know. Should I shut it down or not? You're a smart guy. I want you to go on assignment there for three weeks. And I had my company sold because I thought I was going to go work for him in the OPL position. Uh, the company got blocked in CFIUS. That's a whole other story. So I was able to return to the company. But so I went to go work at the, at the bank. And I told them, don't, don't get rid of the bank. You know, the, the Chinese are putting $300 billion out of their bank. We're only putting out $30 billion. You know, this economic warfare, we need this bank. So he kept the bank open, thank God. Uh, and I'm sitting there at the bank. He calls me on July 20th. Where are you? I said, well, I'm at the bank where you told me to be. Where is that, in New York or Washington? I mean, that's fucking Trump, right? So I said, no, I'm right across from the White House. He goes, okay, good. Come on in. I need to talk to you. I said, okay, no problem. You go call Madeline. You'll get on the schedule. Come on in. I got in. I already had my White House access badge because I was at the bank. I walked through the, the thing, said hello to the Secret Service. I walked into the Oval Office. He was in the study off the Oval. I sat down with him. He said, you were right about these two guys. I got to get rid of them. And uh, I want you to come in and work for me. They were wrong to block your original appointment. And I need you to come in and take care of this for me. So that's a 20-year history. That's a full year of working for him in the uh, in the you know administration, in the campaign, if you will, and the transition. I was one of 16 people on his executive transition team. So I went to go work for him. And you know, I did that press conference that you're referencing. Yeah, yeah. Listen, you know, I you know, I answered those questions very honestly, and I was trying to be an advocate, a supporter of his. Um, those guys were coming at me with knives. They're all backstabbers. I like to be a front stabber. They were coming at me. I made a mistake with a reporter that I trusted. I said something about Steve Bannon, which was totally fake news. You could look it up, uh, what I said about him. Uh, you'd have to do hot yoga every day to do what I said Steve was doing in his office. I didn't think the guy was going to report it. He reported it. I said, if you report that, you're going to get me fired. I said, I thought it was off the record. We know each other. Our families know each other for 50 years. Why are you doing this to me? Well, I want to get the story out there. And, you know, these journalists were out for blood. They hated Trump and they wanted me fired. And so 
Uh, the story came out, and exactly as predicted, I got fired. Uh, Peter, you don't know me, but if you did know me, I'm a very accountable guy. Mm-hmm. I did something stupid. I did something fireable. I never blamed it on anybody else. No whining. I left the administration peacefully. I kept my relationship with Trump. He called me and said, how am I doing? I said, relax. You just made me as famous as Melania and Ivanka. I didn't have to sleep with you or be your daughter, so I'm going to be just fucking fine. You have to worry about me. And and I tried to support him, and I tried to be loyal to him. But then he starts acting crazier and crazier and crazier. I'm on the Bill Maher show making an appearance. They're asking me about the squad. He was telling the squad to go back to the countries they originally came from. These are these uh, African-American and Islamic-American congresswomen. I said, geez, I wish he wouldn't talk like that. They used to say that to my Italian-American grandmother 100 years ago. That's a racist, nativist trope. And the president shouldn't talk like that. It's not yeah. serving his interest to talk like that. Well, Bill Maher said to me he was going to attack me. And I said, that's impossible. I worked for him for a year. I provided him hundreds of hours of media advocacy. I gave him a million dollars personally, raised him tens of millions of dollars. There's no way he's coming after me. Bill Maher said, I'll bet you dinner. Well, I lost the dinner uh, that very next day. And, and Bill said to me something that I'll share with you. He said, you were seven for eight for Trump tonight. Trump is a demagogue. You got to go 13 for 10 for Trump. And since you were only seven for eight, he's going to come after you. So he came after me. Well, guess what? I'm a New Yorker. What do you think happens when somebody, some asshole's lighting you up on Twitter who's got a bigger Twitter following than you? What do you think you do? You hit him back. back. Yeah. 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 So I think I called him Fidel Adolf Trump because he's a fat fuck. <laughs> I was trying to get the FAT in there with the dictatorship. And, you know, I got fat. I was fat shaming him. And I got knocked off of Twitter for 12 hours because of it. He came and hit me again. And then, of course, I hit him even harder. And I know how to hit him because, you know, I know him. And then he did something that is unconscionable, unforgivable, and is a red line. What is that? He went after my wife. Ooh, Who the like fuck that. does that? Well, he my does. My wife is a residential. My wife is a residential housewife in suburban America. He's attacking my wife using the presidential Twitter feed, which is a Super Bowl audience times two. And so I said, "Okay, you're going after my wife. That's it. I'm not Ted Cruz." I took the gloves <laughs> off and and I started the cage match. Yeah, man. Well, Ted and, Cruz. No, and, and I Ted started Cruz this out it. saying, you know, I started it out sheepishly saying, and you know. You know, I'm just being a dick, but you know, I, as I tell his buddies, the guy couldn't win without me. Because once I turned on him in August of 2019, I hit him as hard as a person could hit him, and I stayed on him for 18 months. And I will tell you this: I did heavy damage to the son of a bitch because I was doing local radio in Michigan, local television in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. And, uh, and I was doing get out the boat drives even during the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I, I teamed up with the Lincoln project and we knocked him out of the white house. He's a jackass. He shouldn't have been in the white house. And he's somebody that has embarrassed the country. And if you just watch his behavior over the last 30 days, he's providing more and more evidence every single day that he was ill suited for that office. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my big... side of the story. Now, yeah. Trump has his side, you know, I'm an unstable low life or whatever the hell he called me. Uh, he called me a lot of interesting things on Twitter. I personally don't give a shit. Uh, you know, you don't grow up the way I grew up and, you know, get interested in a Twitter fight. I'm ready to fight the guy. I'm ready to fight him intellectually, fight him on policy, fight him on style. 
you know, I mean, you know, obviously I'm not going to physically fight him, but you get the point I'm making. Well, how many times have you fallen out with people like that publicly? He does it every week. I don't think I've ever. <laughs> exactly. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever fallen out with anybody. I, I like. Hey, by the way, the guy that fired me, General John Kelly, the United States Marine Corps four star general. He's a personal friend of mine now. He's been to my SAW conference twice. I took him to Abu Dhabi with me. I interviewed him on a live stage in Las Vegas. We've done uh, different uh, interviews around the country. We're going to Iowa together to uh, make, make a presentation to Iowa farmers in January mm-hmm. in a COVID safe environment. John Kelly fired me. We were sore at each other. I don't pack a grudge. I'd happily have a drink with President Trump, ex-President Trump, no problem, no grudge. But don't attack my wife using the presidential Twitter feed Mm-mm. because, uh, you know, hey, man, no, I'm not tolerating that. Do I look? Uh, you, you've been listening to me for 45 minutes. Do I look like Ted Cruz to you, no, Peter? I, look, look, the Ted Cruz thing is like is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I mean, what come he's on. Done. You got to be kidding me. The guy, the guy went after his wife and he said his father killed JFK. And this guy's saying, I'll argue your case in front of the Supreme Court. Now, let me put knee pads on my elbows. Yeah, I mean, come on. Guy. I mean, I, I, that's not my personality. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a fighter. Um, I don't like public falling out with anybody. But if you're going to attack my wife, you're going to expect me to come hard at you. Well, listen, look, I know- leave my wife out of it. You know, yeah. even in the mob, they leave the wives out of it. You know what I mean? Made guys are like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Well, I mean, nobody does that. All guys leave their wives out of it course it's just just something you don't do no fuck that guy well listen look i could talk to you for hours and hopefully when these planes are flying again i'll be in new york and perhaps we'll do this again in person and actually have a okay good well listen i appreciate you inviting me on you got a great following congratulations on your podcast well i'm gonna tell the pomp i'm gonna tell the pomp that the yeah tell him you've upgraded and and i'm gonna tell him i upgraded just so he can get super pissed because you know italians have this competitive freak (laughs) in them you know well, listen, look, you, you, you be well and happy new year, man. Yeah. Well, before you go, listen, look, tell people where to find out more about this. If they want to find out more, where do they go? Yeah. So you would go to skybridgebitcoin.com. Uh-huh. Uh, you could go to skybridge slash Bitcoin, you know, skybridge.com slash Bitcoin. You could email me at ascaramucci at skybridge.com if you're interested in the product and I'll get you to our product manager and he'll take you through the product and, uh, you know, we'll sign you up. It's very easy to sign up. You just have to be qualified and we have to do the AML and, you know, we're very compliance centric, but it's very simple and you can own Bitcoin through us safely, stored at Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I think we'll hold your hand if it gets volatile because we have a very big belief in where this thing is going. Wicked. Well, listen, respect for doing that. When I'm back in New York, maybe you, me and Pomp will go and grab a steak. You can tell me more okay, of those I would stories. Love that. Uh, anything you need, you reach out to me. Take care. Good luck with the fund. Okay, uh, great well, to talk to you, man. All the best. I appreciate Peace it. Out. Real, real pleasure to be on. Happy New Year. All right. What do you think of that one? Did you enjoy that show? you got to love the mooch, right? It's great to see these financial institutions taking Bitcoin seriously, and it's opened the doors for lots of people to get exposure to Bitcoin. And I know we have this not your keys, not your Bitcoin thing, but there are plenty of people out there who have got a lot of money, they've got an interest in the upside of Bitcoin, but they are not the type of people who are going to want to get on exchange and buy the Bitcoin, and they just want exposure. It's just a reality of where we are, and someone like Skybridge is making this possible for certain investors. 
And it's really cool to like hear how Anthony's gone down the rabbit hole. He obviously understands Bitcoin. He's probably spent a lot of time around Michael Saylor, but he obviously understands Bitcoin and, and knows that it's important. So this is really cool. Big thanks to Anthony for coming on the show. If you want to find out more about Skybridge's Bitcoin fund, there are links in the show notes. And I hope you enjoyed this. If you've got any questions, you know you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, if you want to support the show, please head over to iTunes and leave me a review. That's really helpful for my rankings. If you think the show deserves five star that'd be awesome if you think the show is shit give it a one star review and tell me why all feedback is welcome hopefully hopefully you like it though outside of that have a great week and i will see you all soon